Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all about various taxonomic groups within this industry, and I could not think of anyone better to talk to than Udit Bowman. Welcome, Udit, to the show. Thank you so much for having me, uh, J- uh, James. I was going to call you Dennis, damn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I personally am being very self-conscious of how to pronounce your name. Hopefully I've got it right. No, you did very well. Great. Okay. Well, over to you then. If you want to introduce to everyone exactly who you are, where you come from and what title you hold. Well, I'm Judith Bowman. I am a senior animal keeper at the Highland Wildlife Park in King Craig in Scotland. been there for about seven years now. Started as an animal keeper and uh, got promoted about three years ago and really enjoying it got quite a cool range of species at the park um you've had mark enderby earlier on the episodes as well and he was saying as well it's quite a unique collection of animals all cold climate species predominantly and before i was working here at the park i was employed at the zoological society of antwerp in belgium so i worked there for several years started on a, a temp contract and i was what they called basically a cover keeper started in the kitchen predominantly which i think is a really good start for most keepers because then you get see all the nutrition we had to like stock up the trolleys for the sections so every different department had their own little trolleys that they took to the sections and then prepped their food there so I worked there for several months and then ended up getting a year contract started on the birds of prey and penguins with a couple of seals and then worked several years on the bird section and then primate section. So I've done quite a few different things in my time as a keeper. That is quite a journey. What what made you move across, you know, let alone in collections? What made you move across countries? So when I was at uni, um, I, did, I find it always very hard to compare the educational system from the Netherlands to the one in the UK. But so I went to school full time for four years and we had to do uh, quite a few internships. And I chose to predominantly do my internships in foreign countries so I went to Northern Dark in Sweden, Antwerp Zoo in Belgium and Highland Wildlife Park in Scotland and then the last one uh, my teachers asked me to do one in the Netherlands so they could come and visit and do some like tests and checks and everything so I did my last one in uh, Rotterdam Zoo. But having done my internship in Scotland in my third year um, I was here for about three three months and just basically cliche like fell in love with the country it's absolutely gorgeous here the keepers were like so nice so welcoming um, which made it really easy to fit in yeah after I finished my internship I sort of basically kept coming back for like holidays and always stayed in touch always sort of said oh one day I I would like to to work here I'm gonna aim for it so it took me about six seven years until I got the opportunity and when finally a job came up I applied for it I got it which was quite exciting and yeah it's it's been a great journey ever since. Bracken now what I love about all these episodes is we're starting to get this trend that life for, for everyone it starts around college it starts around university that's when we we start our storytelling of, of how we got to where we are today but I, I think for all of us we're inspired from such a young age for yourself Edith, did, did it start from 
college, university, or was it way before? No. So funnily enough, my mum always likes to remind me as well is that when I used to walk to school. So I grew up in Switzerland, actually. So I was born in the Netherlands. We moved to Switzerland for my dad's job. And I grew up there. Switzerland's amazing nature as well. And I always had to walk a couple of miles to school every day. And my mum said, I always remember you like picking up the earthworms off the street even to put them to the side and that kind of stuff. So I always loved every species I came across and everything but when I went to high school that's kind of when you get nudged to pick what direction you would like to develop your career in sort of and you have to pick it and I always thought in high school I was going to be a journalist and I don't know why it's just because I liked writing and if you want to get into university for journalism you get picked based on your grades and everything and so you don't always get the opportunity to get in which then requires you to fill in a backup kind of degree you would like to do that like okay that made me think oh what do I want to do and my mom suggested why don't you do something with with children like uh or with or, or with animals maybe yeah and sort of that sort of rolled me into looking into what kind of degrees and everything I could do in the Netherlands when it comes to animals and that's how I rolled in so I started university course to become a veterinary assistant and I did an internship at the seal center in the north of the Netherlands working with the seals I really enjoyed but I didn't necessarily like the medical aspect that I was doing and that kind of made me change direction and go into more animal care. That's how I sort of ended up in the education that I uh, got my degree and diplomas for, um, which was called wildlife management. And it sort of gave you the opportunity to go in situ or ex situ. And I sort of started to develop my interest in, in zoos and that kind of stuff. And that's how I based my internships as well. So I really like enjoyed working in sort of that environment as a volunteer and an intern already so that's how I sort of rolled into that so it wasn't even from the beginning like as a young kid oh I want to be a zookeeper it just came when I was like basically finishing high school and then going into there <laughs> absolutely amazing you're definitely one of the most traveled of my guests so far now digging into what this episode's about we're talking about taxonomic groups and what defines us as a keeper to a certain degree with regards to yourself, what taxa do you work with? What ones do you associate yourself with most with? And I guess most importantly, for anyone listening in, why should they work with your taxonomic group? I find this so hard. Like, I really enjoy the species that I work with right now. I am known to absolutely adore wolverines, for example. Just find them fascinating species. They're such a, an underappreciated species, particularly when you speak to visitors. It's always like, oh, are they really aggressive? And are they ferocious? And I'm like, so just try to engage people to say, well, actually, these guys are really playful and they like joy hanging around, enjoy doing fun stuff. And they, yeah, they can be ferocious, but only if they're forced in a corner and they have to fight for their lives or whatever so it's just a sort of that but like working with the polar bears has been absolutely phenomenal as well it's just amazing species but as one of my colleagues on the hoopstock department she always talks about the sexy animals and it is true some of them are just a, but I haven't worked on the hoopstock department as well when I just started I find it fascinating to work with with the Swarovski horses was very interesting. The, the yak, and there's a lot of underappreciated species on the hoofstock department. The tacking are phenomenal as well. And I find hoofstock is a very, sometimes a niche, it's taxonomic range. Any species is very niche to each individual. But I find that 
for certain animals you have to have that proper interest to be like diving into it and hoofstuff just didn't quite do that for me um, I tried birds for several years and when I say birds it was like the bird section I was working on in Antwerp was quite a range of I don't know what the English word for it is but it was like finches and, and pheasant type birds and all the kind of like the smaller I like to call them the pretty birds, <laughs> that kind of species. And I did enjoy it, but I didn't dive into it like some of my colleagues did having that interest. And I think through the different things that I've done, I think carnivores is close to my heart. I just like to work with these animals and I find them fascinating. And the working, the training that we do with them is just challenging. And I say that from my point of view, probably training a bird can be far more challenging or training a, a hoofstock animal can be even more challenging but this is what it does for it. it just gets me excited yeah totally now you touched on a few different species there to really dial it down focusing on that wolverine you know what exactly is it what makes it tick what's it so special in in every way what what is it that makes it such an amazing species to work with be around and i guess to simply be on this planet i think they're very like particularly if you look at the their natural habitat if you look at that it's the, the cold climate the the deep snow the survival instinct of these species and i know lots of species have this major survival instinct as well the size of the sheer size of them and i know they're predominantly scavengers but if they're forced to have to fight an animal i mean I bet you have seen this video as well of a wolverine going after, is it a reindeer or a caribou or something? It's, it's phenomenal to see a creature like that just attacking something that's like, what, six times its size. And just the sheer determination of that survival in such a small mammal. And then in that same sort of context, is to like a male wolverine can cover quite a, a large territory and can cover several females and will return later in the year when the female's given birth to sort of engage and interact with the little ones as well and to teach them their stuff, play with them, play fight with them, teach them, and then just goes on on his own way again. So the way they walk, I love their walk, the little wobble. <laughs> The fact that they go deep on the ground or high up in the trees, like the amount of times we have to tell visitors, they were like, oh, I haven't seen them. I can't see them anywhere. It's like, oh, if you look up. And then people are like, oh, oh, I didn't know they were climbing. So it's just they, they've got such a range of different things they're capable of and yet be so strong and determined yet. Like, and I obviously speak predominantly about the, the animals that we've got apart. So curious, they're so engaging, they're so playful. And yeah, we do training with them as well. And particularly having a young animal so interested in working with us, it's just, it's really nice to see. Absolutely. Now with our taxes, we want to give them the optimum care we can. We want to give them everything that they can hopefully need throughout their lives to show natural behaviours and live to their optimum levels. So with that, there are many ways we can achieve this, but I want to focus on enrichment. I want to go to the fun stuff of zookeeping. With enrichment, with your individual species that you look after, those taxes that you're involved with, what enrichment pieces have you picked up along the way which are specific for them, which really help them live to their fullest you know each animal has its own quirks if it's an aquatic animal it's probably worth having something waterproof um if it's something which is airborne maybe something which is free flying in terms of a swinging perch or something like that you know there's a whole bundle of things 
But with your specific tax cell, what enrichment, what little gems have you picked up along the way which you can share with us all? <laughs> One thing that pops up into my head straight away, talking about the, re- the wolverine. I do really like to challenge our animals when it comes to presenting their food. I am a bit of a sucker for when it comes to food enrichment. Maybe it's a bit of a, it's an easy one. I'm not going to deny it. It's an easy one to just get encouraged and stuff. The wolverine I learned pretty quickly is that don't use rope. It's useless. <laughs> They'll just stra- chew straight through it. Um, that was fairly early on when I was working with them and I was trying to ha- hang up their meat and uh, yeah, Tina, one of our Wolverine females, she's so clever, she just chewed to the rope and ran away with a bit of meat and didn't take her any effort. So learning that, like what I can can use for tying the meat up. So we ended up like using chain, which obviously takes risks with as well. You have to like safety measures. You have to consider things like get paws stuck in shackles or anything, that kind of stuff. So that's what we use for the food enrichment now. I am quite enthusiastic when you can spend so much time building something so amazing and incredible and it's great that the animals engage with it and stuff or or destroy it and have fun with it but sometimes it's the little things and the tiniest and the smallest and the easiest things that can be the most effective and I do really enjoy doing that as well and a really simple easy and some people might think it's a bit lazy as well perfumes that sensory enrichment and again I'm jumping back to the wolverine but our tigers as well the love they have for a different scent and it could be perfumes but we're also in discussions with our vets if we can okay it's bedding from different species of animals so particularly we've got such a like carnivore section and a, a quite a good hoofstock section so we're allowed to exchange some of the bedding and we check with our vets can we use this right now and they say yes you can mark our bedding bison bedding that kind of stuff and just take it into the enclosure and spread it out it's different now the park, and do correct me if I'm wrong, is one of the very few ones that has the, got the mixed exhibit option with Snow Leopard to mark her, which is, again, that doesn't necessarily require me as a keeper to do much but having the option there so we've got a tunnel between our snow leopard and marker exhibit where we lock the snow leopards into the holding areas safely away and we can let the marker run through into the snow leopard enclosure and our snow leopard enclosure has got quite a bit of like different types of trees in there and bushes which then the marker have a phenomenal time of browsing get all that kind of stuff which is a great enrichment for them and obviously whilst they're in there Fecal matter is left behind, hairs is left behind, urine, the, the close-up look for the snow leopards as well. And then, yeah, after X amount of hours, we, we take them back out and give the snow leopards back access. And that's been phenomenal as well. So that's quite a, a cool design that our previous collection manager has come up with. So it's, it's, it's quite an amazing one. And it works really well, and particularly now having the young snow leopards, they are having a blast when we do that. Yeah, for sure. And you're making my life very, very easy on this one. You're doing my job for me. And that's because you're linking it perfectly, you know, from those snare leopards you refer to. We're looking at enclosure design, you know, enclosure design. You can almost build within that enrichment in itself, which can be daily improvements on our animals welfare. And it's absolutely amazing stuff. Enclosure design very much making huge steps as time goes on from 20 to 30 years ago. So with your taxa, once again, is there any certain types of enclosure design, whether it be through training, simple animal welfare, through to a whole bunch of other stuff that is really needed for your taxonomic group? A lot of keepers have become so skilled in lots of different aspects within the job. Is it building? Is it creating, decorating? 
using the right perches for different types of bird or logs for different kind of cats and all that kind of stuff. I think if you can start on a blank canvas and you can design your own enclosure, like I think what most people will focus on, I think it's really important that if any zoological society or zoos are designing a new enclosure, involve the keepers. They know what works and what doesn't work. And you can have this amazing architectural design drawn up by someone involve that keeper and I think what we basically start with is that having that safe and sturdy lasting enclosure perimeter fence and then all the additional stuff that you want having the, the right holding areas the houses around it having the well like you say the training part foot sleeves or, or tail sleeves or building weighing scales I thought those are things important drains at the lowest point of the enclosure I think is a big one having the electricity and water supplies all that kind of stuff little little things that can make a keeper's life so much more easy and then that time that is then saved because the accessibility to enclosures is easier can then be spent on redesigning enclosures so from time to time you just change it all up and there's a, so many elements to it I think you could probably design your whole own podcast just on that <laughs> And there's amazing enclosures right down the centre in lots of zoos. And we've got, we're quite lucky in the area that we are with the sheer space that we've got. And yes, we put up a fence and we've got a really nice looking enclosure. But then it's to like having the safety of that fence as well. Have you got the team behind it that can aid to it? All that kind of, yeah. So there's a lot of elements to it that are really important and making the keeper's life a bit easier. And then the keepers can focus even more on animal enrichment and enclosure design and everything as well. Add to it. Yeah, totally. Now to muster from within you to really pull together all your experiences. Do you have any top tips, a big bit of advice for anyone listening in through your journey so far? One of the things that I've heard in your past episodes of your podcast there's a lot of people's like oh just hang in there keep going and it's a tough business and yeah it is and it is a matter of like sticking out and showing what you're worth and like what you're capable of and your determination and that kind of stuff it's really hard to define that per individual person I definitely worked hard and I tried and I have definitely made some big failures in in internships which I probably didn't leave me a very good name yes or no I don't know but learning from that so I think it's thing that you can maybe take away and I think that's a life lesson to be honest is to learn from your mistakes what didn't I do right that time that I could now do differently so it improves me in the future it's really hard because every person's different I think I worked hard to where, where I am but I think I also really lucked out as to what positions came available at what time. Starting at the park, I know for a fact that my interview was not good. But because they already know who I was has helped. Making yourself known and keep coming back, I know. And sometimes, yeah, I don't know, it's really hard to define one simple thing. Some really, really great advice there. Now, we now lead perfectly into the big questions as part of this podcast episode where we tackle some of the larger questions from the industry and try and get to the bottom of them with a few answers along the way now the first one is quite a simple one with quite a large scope so good luck to you Edith. Uh, and that is zookeeping you know it's such a large role in the modern day you know we're required to be 10 different roles in one the question with this is 
what do you see as the biggest challenge with zookeeping in the modern day? And if you've got the answer for it, how have you learned to overcome it? Oh, that is a difficult one. Um, as passionate as we are about our animals and as much as we love working with our animals, I think we're all part of teams and we have to also work with people and work with visitors and work with other teams like visitor engagement teams or conservation departments and like I think it's so important to work with people is such a big part of being a zookeeper as well like going into an interview and saying oh I don't really like working with people I love working with animals that's why we call it a zookeeper that's not it zookeeping isn't just about the animals it's it's so much more like yourself and I have met on a conference what like nine years ago or something and that getting to know all these people from all these different countries and different like different styles and different ways of zookeeping and everything I think a big part of, of zookeeping is being able to work engage with with your colleagues from the same place you work at or from different places I think it's a big big part of it as well perfectly put and that is number one totally answered and out of the way. Now, number two leads us to a common thing we're all told in many businesses, but especially in the current day in the zoo industry, and that is creating a good balance of work to home relationships, you know, making sure you get enough time away from the workplace as much as within. Now, this is easier said than done. You know, when it comes to hand raising, for example, you might be required to be on 24-7 notice all the way through to simply having ideas and so on. Keepers are renowned for taking their work home with them. So the question I've got with all of this is, is it actually possible to create that balance between home and work? Or is it unfortunately inevitable where it's going to follow you home? Um, yes and no. And I, I think I'm sort of going to jump back into every individual is different and everyone deals with it different ways. And I was very much like that. I wanted to be constantly involved. And I was checking like in current societies, well, the WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups, all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to be in there, in there, in there. But then at some point, like it starts weighing down on me and personally I thought yeah that's not good I can't have that I can't be like worrying all the time and stressing about things and feeling the need to reply to everything um, so I have become pretty good at shutting all work-related chats off and emails are going off and I will not reply to anything until I'm back at work and if there's really a major issue people know that they can text me privately and I will reply that way but that is me and other people feel more comfort about being able to always access that that is their own choices I can't I, I wouldn't be able to do it like I said there's lots of different ranges that what people personally want to do being able to leave your work at work that I, th I find it goes both ways as well I think it's also very important that if you get it's just your own private life being dominated by work stuff is not good but it's vice versa as well you can't constantly take all your stuff from home to work either it's not like particularly in certain species we work with and safety that's not great either so it is a very balanced but again everyone deals with it differently but one of the things that for home and work balance um kim wilkins uh, addressed it as well she said like as as little as you think something is address it and if that means coming home and you've got things that you're worried about at work, like you're at home, but you're thinking a lot about work stuff, just address it. Speak to people at home about it. Clear that, clear that air, like make sure you're, you, you've got that off your mind. 
in the same way at work if you've got stuff going on in your mind that could affect your work talk about it and uh, as little as it may seem don't let it pile up and don't soldier on as kim was saying as well don't soldier on you don't have to because if you're soldiering on you're piling on you think you could do it and then at some point you crack and that's you i have done it as well i took a lot of things home from work and i took stuff from home to work and then at some point i was like this this isn't going the right way and i i think i was in time like i could have i feel like i could have maybe gone home with a burnout as well but i sort of managed to sort of cap that and be like okay and yeah i've got a very good home life when, with my husband is very open i can speak to him very well he's worked at the zoo previously as well so he does know a lot what's going on and everything so yeah having that person you could talk to at home is really important yeah i could not agree more that network around us is so so essential now the next question then i'm going to chuck at you is you know look in the uk alone we have such a high quantity of zoos all the way up to highland with yourselves all the way down to the likes of a nuki zoo with everyone we're there for the same reasons we're there to educate we're there to conserve and give our animals the best care possible but the question with all of this is with so many zoos out there, do you feel as a collective we are truly engaging and inspiring and educating our guests to the highest level? Or do you still feel we have more to do? I think we're doing a lot. I think we're doing as much as we can right now. But I think I do feel like we can do even more. A lot of people still go to the zoo purely for entertainment. And, oh, it's a nice little day out. All oh, the kids love the monkeys whilst they're looking at the chimps, you know, and you'd be like, no, it's the apes. <laughs> um, that kind of stuff. Just, But you, you don't want to, I think if you start forcing things onto people, then people kind of become like, oh, no, no, it's, I can't be bothered with this right now. I just want to have a nice day out. So it's trying to find that true balance of like, getting making sure that people enjoy the day out and still go home with the tiniest little bit of information and i do think zoos i want to say globally but yeah and the uk definitely and coming from the netherlands and belgium myself it's like i do think that we do manage to sort of sneak in that little bit of information sometimes and that's a focus of a lot of educational programs i think within zoos and keeper talks or ranger talks or whatever your uh your your zoo has the form of programs and i think continuing on those small little bits just slightly improving improving and there's still a, a heavy good zoo bad zoo reputation and there's still a heavy like thought process for people who are against zoos and getting the people that are, do come to the zoos and get them engaged and go home with that tiny bit of information is is the smallest step we could take right now and the, like i said the educational programs looking at our own discovery and learning program that we've got within the society they're doing phenomenal jobs they're very good at engaging with the people and interacting with them but i can also see like a lot of people just can't be bothered with the whole talk spiel and just want to see the animals but those are the ones that maybe grab a keeper later on or bump into someone in the cafe like one of the cafe people tells them a tiny bit of information or someone in the shop so it's having that whole team involvement without pushing it to people because i like yeah if you get pushed and you kind of become like no, I don't, I can't, no. 
So yeah, set that balance. But I think zoo programs in the UK are phenomenal already. And we say that from a keeper point of view, like we, if we go somewhere and we see an amazing talk or we see an amazing education sign or um, like information about species, we get really excited because we're already in that field. And we're like, oh, this looks like an amazing sign. I want this at my zoo as well because we think it's so great. Yeah, it's trying to get the people to look at in a similar mindset, basically. Absolutely. And I guess to conclude these big questions, dialing it down from our zoos all the way down to the keepers, do you feel as a collective, you know, we're in such a high number, keepers across the UK alone, there's a whole bundle of us. Do you feel we're collaborating enough and bringing all our ideas together at the highest level we can? Or do you still feel there's once again work to be done? Maybe there's always room for more. We can, like, being a keeper, it doesn't stop once you get the job. You continue to learn. It doesn't stop when you get a promotion. You continue to learn. Uh, I think, like, I think to the point of our, our, our directors on different departments and CEOs, although they might not necessarily be in that keeper point of view, they're still learning as well. But looking at just at the keeper bracket, like, there's so much information that can be shared. Like, listening to your podcast itself, like, different people, I've heard different things that, opened my mind to I'm like oh yeah taking it in and I think a lot of keepers particularly the newer generations are very much like oh yeah I'm taking this on I want to work on this I want to get more information about this I want to look into it and that's like I think a lot of keepers these days are a lot open-minded and willing to share um, look at all the conferences all the workshops that are going on the, the training one was on recently then you've got the bear workshop that we both did the ic set is an amazing one because it's a, a, like a global one and there's just so many stuff out there abwag is an amazing organization and you've got abwag and then you've got the equivalent in belgium and the netherlands you've probably got a german one as well and etc etc so i think we're very good and having the, the availability of online stuff now as well. It's just making it easier to get in touch with people. And lots of keepers I find are very easy to like get in touch with. Uh, is it through social media? Is it through exchanging phone numbers or just giving the access to emails and that kind of stuff? People are very willing. Like I never mind people contacting me for whatever reason as well. If I can help them out, great. And I hope I can do the same with other people. Like, oh, do you mind if I send you a quick message about this? And as I say, I've noticed that people are very, it's just a lot better these days. It's so easy to be in touch with people. And I think continuing to do that and continue to share the information. A simple example is, is we use the foot sleeves that we use for the polar bear training are based on the designs that Yorkshire Wildlife Park has. And our team leader, she was in touch with the keepers from Yorkshire, got the measurements and everything. And we'd asked within our society if we could have. We used the exact same style and measurements and they've had successful blood draw training we've had successful blood draw training and i do feel like oh that's a big part because they've given us the sizes and uh, the measurements for those sleeves and i, I just i can't imagine a world where people are like no you can't have those sizes like and then we probably would have come up with something else but just the thought that like they wouldn't share that and that's it like we have our tiger uh, male who came from whipsnade zoo and he was trained for blood draw training from his tail and we asked for a sleeve and we got the measurements from them and then one of our keepers was already working towards the training with him but one of the keepers from Whipsnade who came up and he said oh we also did this which helped and we put that in place and just sharing that information and it, it made the training at our place successful as well and we've continued to develop with other of our tigers as well in the same style so that information sharing is so important and I hope people will continue to do it and don't feel like oh no, I don't want to share this information because we did it. No, 
share it be like open to everyone and everyone and it's for the improvement of our animals and that's our main focus for every keeper i would like to think yeah absolutely and hopefully fingers crossed that will only continue to blossom now you'd be happy to know you've conquered the big questions we're on to the final bit of this podcast episode and that is the quick fire round now it is a deceiving name as our listeners and you alike will probably know by now it doesn't always go that way it can very much explode into conversation as keepers love to do so let's give it a go and see how we get on so the first one i've got for you is very very simple in one way and very hard in another and that is what is your favorite animal well funnily enough it's dogs but in the zookeeping world <laughs> um it's wolverine and like i said earlier as well i just find them fascinating and i think it's because they're a little bit the underdog and i like to stand up for the little ones if i can a really really great answer now the next one then we've alluded to it throughout this episode but what is your top tip for mental health and well-being it's to each to their own whatever works for you and it's it's really easy to be like oh just have a nice bath or like i particularly i like to craft i'm a big crocheter i like to indulge in my crochet if i'm having really bad days but doesn't necessarily solve the issues that are going in your head they might sort of like ease things a little bit and relax you a little bit so it's it's hard so indulge a little bit in the things that you enjoy to do and if you're really struggling days it's just a matter of like getting out of bed and making yourself that cup of tea and just taking it little steps by steps finding the help in time being able to have access to either people you're you can talk to well or if you haven't got anyone around you, this world that we have and the accessibility that we have right now, if people feel the need to come and talk to me, I'd be more than happy for people to come and talk to me. But also there's so much professional help out there, like a part of the Health Shield insurance plan, health and health insurance. They've got counseling sessions available as well if you wanted that kind of stuff. So there's the social aspect of within your circle that you can address, or there's also the professional help because sometimes you just, want to have that private conversation with someone you don't know at all but yeah it's it's hard to it's a simple short answer but start with indulging in the things you really enjoy and doing the small steps and start there and then work up your way up from there absolutely okay the next one then is really left field so bear with me and that is what is your favorite film it's a homeward bound absolutely adore it. it's such an amazing feel good i love a good soppy feel good film but in a completely opposite direction i absolutely adore the lord of the rings movies as well and i think homeward bound is more of a a youth one that I seen as a young a, a young girl and uh, but Lord of the Rings is phenomenal. Well, Homeward Bound is just feel good. Some really great suggestions there. When Shadow comes over that hill, a really iconic moment in Homeward Bound, and then obviously, uh, are we talking The Hobbit or are we talking The Fellowship? What what one are we talking? Uh, the Fellowship, but Hobbit's greatest one, but the fe- the first ones, yeah, Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, the next one then, going back to the industry. What is your favourite part of it? The people as well. I mean, I could go for the cliche answer and say the animals. But again, you couldn't do anything of this on your own. So having the people around you and working together, and even if it's within the zoo that you work at, or being able to, like I said, share the knowledge and, and experience with other. I, I really I really enjoy conferences as well and networking and workshops and, and, and those are based on the experience that people have with their animals. And yes, the animals is a cliche answer to say, oh my God, yeah, the animals are amazing and we love what we're doing. But again, with other people, you couldn't do it. Yeah, really great answer. Now, the next one could take you absolutely anywhere in this world and that is what zoo globally would you like to visit and why? 
Oh, I find that so hard. There's probably loads, but yeah, one of my, my one of my best friends, she's she's done some work experience in San Diego Zoo, and the stories that she tells me just sound phenomenal. Hey, I've never been to America either, so that would be another good excuse. But yeah, San Diego sounds amazing. Just it's such a a zoo with such an amazing reputation as well. So it would be a good excuse to go to America for and say, oh, I want to go there. But again. Same for probably some Australian zoos or, or Asian zoos. I don't know. There's too many. A really, really great suggestion there. Now, the next one then is what trait or attribute inside yourself has allowed you to really push on throughout this industry and become the person you are and get to the position you're in? Willing to accept feedback, maybe. Although I think I may, well, not may, I probably haven't responded to feedback as well as I should have in the past, but I've always taken it on and tried to work with it so yes like being able to accept that we're not perfect no one's perfect no one can do the job right in one go with anything but yeah being a Dutch person having worked in the Belgian zoo and us Dutch people are a bit known to be a bit full-on in comparison to the Belgians for example and maybe I still have that trait a bit I can be a bit full-on I know that but I'm also like to be honest and be straightforward if I can but I have definitely learned and that's within my career as a zookeeper, but even in the past as well, in my, my jobs that I had, like I would get some feedback and I would take it quite harshly, but I would do something with the information I was given. And then over the course of time, I have learned, okay, I don't have to necessarily respond right there and then. Don't necessarily feel the need to indulge in the argument straight away or feel defensive. Just sometimes it's like, okay, take it in and do something with it. But yeah, definitely do something with the feedback you're getting another really good answer now the next one i struggle with every time i ask it so good luck to you and that is if you weren't a zookeeper what would you be i think i would love to have like a, a doggy daycare or something just like uh yeah i really love dogs i yeah i love going out with the dogs walking about and everything so yeah having a big field with with dogs to take care of for the day and take them home to their owners at the end of the day so they all had a good day yeah yeah that sounds pretty good to me now the next one is reflecting a previous question and that is what do you still feel that we need to improve within this industry gosh yeah that's uh that's a thinker i think we can always continue to improve the husbandry that we do like i said it never stops as a keeper you never stop learning and i think the husbandry never ends there's always things you can do better i do feel like there's always room for improvement when it comes to the general husbandry things and like i said earlier as well that, that visitor engagements we're doing a, a really good job already but there's always room for that just a little bit more again that little bit more information out there to the people to go home with and i think we can still continue to improve in a lot of things we're doing really good jobs but it's also a continuously changing world we can have all these plans and ideas for the future and what we want to achieve at certain times which is great aspects to look forward to but i think probably in that course of time things will continue to change so we have to continue to develop with that and then improve from there it's the hard question very much so and we'll only see what the future holds now the next question i've got for you is going to dive a little bit more into your personal side so brace yourself and that is within the industry who is your idol it doesn't necessarily mean i know people personally and everything but i really admire the people who just go that slightly bit more above than just the general zookeeping if if i say that right um i have a lot of admiration for uh, julie van asher i don't know if you know her but she's um i used to work with her in antwerp zoo and she went to start a um, wildlife rehabilitation center in 
Liberia, that is one of the most highest rate, rate of poverty and, and criminality and everything. And she just went there as this young Belgian woman to start a re- wildlife rehabilitation centre. I have to like, like, I admire her so, so much that she's done that. And now she works, I believe, Tiki Wood for the Pangolin um, Rescue Centre as well. And just being out there and throwing her whole life around her. Her partner's come, has moved over there as well. And just people say, oh, it's amazing. You've moved to Scotland. I'm like, I still have like a normal toilet and a, and, a, and a shower and I have a warm home every day. And she's like having to face all these like the things that we find so simple and like expect to be there. Just having to battle just rescuing all these species of animals and then also having to struggle with some stuff at home, sorting things out and having to talk to the local community to say well actually you can't sell this for me like this is a very highly endangered species of animal and being able to talk to these people like that so I find it amazing what she does and then same Crystal Griffion has done similar things in for the I just lost the name for it but she's done like she's gone out there as well has done amazing stuff Stephanie Yesen has gone out there there's a lot of People from the comforts that we know here in European countries have gone to these countries where some things are, I just admire those people a lot, a lot of respect for them and battling things that I think are a lot harder than what we as zookeepers in the UK sometimes have to face. So yeah, a lot, yeah respect for them some really really nice words now we're coming to the end of the episode i now need you to wrap it all up for us in only three words i want to say passion dedication and inspiration three very fitting words for an amazing industry that we work in now before we do come to a close because we've absolutely smashed this episode so thank you so much for coming on but before i do let you go I would be letting myself down and the listeners down if I didn't ask you about another species that you've alluded to, I think twice through word throughout this episode. Um, There are two individuals, which I think are very close to you and uh, play a large part in your career. Um, If I were to say to you, Victoria, and if I were to say to you, Hamish, what do those individuals mean to you and, and really represent to you? It's better to pass over to you now, Udit, because I think I'm waffling and it's very much your area of expertise to explain to everyone what I'm on about. Okay, so Victoria is our female polar bear and Hamish is her son that was born in the wildlife park. So he was the first polar bear cup born in 25 years in the UK. Victoria, oh, I've got a soft spot for her. She's such a lovely, sweet bear. She's like, what what date are we on now? So it's December just now. So I think her birthday is in like two days. And she's 27. Oh, she's such a sweetheart she's her own little character she's a lovely bear and I, I if I have to believe the Yorkshire Wildlife Park Keepers Hamish is not so much <laughs> I think he's a handful and unfortunately she's uh, she's created another one of them because Brody her current son uh, that's still with us at the park he's quite a handful as well he's given us quite a few challenges but I adore Victoria. She's such a lovely, sweet bear. And yeah, she's 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 just little, yeah, she's an older female. She's just plodding along now. And uh, Brody, her current son right now, is causing chaos all around her. Um, but yeah, she's uh, yeah, she's a lovely bear. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And as we've alluded to, I think you may have said earlier on, they're you know polar bears. They're they're fashionable. They're you know I can't remember exactly your wording for them, but that they're, they're an iconic animal. You know, they're something which draws the attention of everyone. They are absolutely amazing. But I guess to dial it down, what is it about a polar bear which truly makes them 
absolutely awe-inspiring. You know, we've got Highland at yourselves. You've got Jimmy's Farm now. You've got Peak. You've obviously got Yorkshire. You've got a whole bunch of collections in the UK alone, which have really gone into the world of polar bears. Why do you think that is? What what makes a polar bear so iconic? There are so incredibly intelligent and I, I bet a lot of keepers will say that about their favorite species and 100 percent they're not wrong just by experience with the polar bears they're so clever working with our two male polar bears i, I really enjoy working with them as well walker and arctos so arctos is Rodi and hamish's dad uh, walker is victoria's nephew so there's a bit of a, a family relations um, within our park but yeah they're again like they're fascinating animals I think polar bears is one of those species that is an easier one as well to get information out to the public because like you you used to work fashionable so it's like my colleague says she calls them the sexy animals they are they are what gets people coming into parks and zoos they are easy to relate to they're in lots of stories there are lots of programs but like so people recognize a polar bear very easily and they are a good, well, it, maybe not in the right sense of work, but they are a good ambassador species to get people coming to your collection. And I fully understand why there's more collections within the UK going for it as well. And I think it's just getting people to come into the zoo is, is kind of what we want, because that means your zoos be able to continue to survive because there's an income coming. But again, getting that information out to people as well and then using that attractive species to also address to the visitor the less attractive species because we have so many attractive species over lots of different collections in the UK that people might not necessarily think in the same ways because the way our polar bears are located in the park they're opposite the markhor and when we do a talk with visitors I tend to sort of turn around as well and people think oh they're just goats well actually and then you take that story away but you've had the polar bear to start with and then you just pull them in and that's that tiny little bit of extra information you can give away because they yeah they came from the polar bear but they went home with turkmenian markhor instead of goats and that's a tiny start that you begin with but yeah polar bears yeah they're out there they're pretty cool easy said <laughs> I truly believe that is the perfect way to round up this episode with the Wolverine at the front, the polar bear at the back, bookended to the perfect level. From myself and the listeners, Judith, it has been a true, true pleasure to hear all about your story, your journey and your amazing species that you get the pleasure of working with. Uh, from Zookeeping 101 and all the lovely listeners, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, James. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was a bit nervous at the beginning, like, you know, but yeah, I did, did, did enjoy this. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's been a true pleasure and hopefully we haven't scared you off and we'll get you on again very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thank you very much. Take care until then. Bye-bye. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.